Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique, the best place to learn all about interesting topics. I'm joined, as always, by a man who just had a UFO encounter last night. Ryan, what's up? Honestly, I'm a little bit more of a believer now than I was before. Well, we'll put it on the TikTok and see what they think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the explanation we just talked about is probably it. Having worked for the company I worked for, I know what most aircraft look like. Like I have a decent idea of what's out there, you know, military-wise. But yeah, like that's that's really high. That's really fast. This doesn't make any sense. Like as to why the lights were so bright and everything, you know, and they're blue. They're like teal. That's they're hard. Like blue to, teal it's hard to see of, that in the video. It's real. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed. Like, these just look white because it's mm-hmm. so dark. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they in person, they were very much like a teal blue kind of color. Super, super strange. Well, they'll have to go to the TikTok to find the video. So then tell them where they can find it. Yeah, you can check out what we're putting up on YouTube at cryptique podcast you can check out what we have on tiktok at cryptique underscore podcast you can get in touch with us with your own ufo encounters or your explanation of what these lights might be and we'll tell you if they're right Right. (laughs) at Podcast at gmail.com and you can see our maybe we'll make some uh i don't know St. Louis UFO t-shirts, yeah, for, there we go. for this. And we'll have those at CryptiquePodcastStore.com. And we have the Nightcrawler t-shirts up at the merch store, CryptiquePodcastStore.com, and they're actually selling. So there's... That's good. Check it out. All right. What are we talking about tonight? It's just there are so many answers, because we're talking about... The scariest urban legends of each state. So this is going to be one of these, you know, rapid fire kind of episodes. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. And there's there's some that we just kind of glance over, and there's some that we get a little bit deeper into. And if if your state isn't given enough time, email us and let us know, and maybe we'll. Or if we get the the wrong. Uh, paranormal tale from your state then uh let us know and maybe we'll we'll do an episode on that too so but yeah basically we're just going through each state and we are going to tell you about at least one of their most famous paranormal tales so yeah and these won't be terribly in depth or anything but just should be fun so throughout american history there are a number of phenomena leaving their mark on the collective imagination of the people living in these areas. You know, and these 
it tends to be that the phenomenon gives rise to some kind of story, legend, folklore, whatever. Mm. So we have put together a list of some of the more exceptional, uh, but sometimes obscure. You know, you don't know if I asked you, like, what's Montana's thing? Yeah. You probably wouldn't be able to tell me off the top of your head. But we've gathered some of these together, hoping that you guys will have some fun listening to it. But we could jump into it. But, I mean, you might warn them. You know, maybe maybe you don't want to know what's in your state. Oh, yeah. Maybe you don't want to know what's in your particular area. I found myself a couple times listening to some of these ghost stories around here. You know, from Alton or things like that. Or even seeing stuff on TV. Mm-hmm. Where Kim, Kim watches this stuff all the time. Where it's like real ghost stories. And it's like so-and-so from, you know, somewhere near me or somewhere mm-hmm. I go frequently. You know, it's like I'll, I'll pay attention to like Charleston... St. Louis, Boston, like areas that I go fairly often either for work or to visit family. And it's like, okay. I didn't know that was like a common thing happening there. <laughs> you got to keep your head on a swivel everywhere. Yep. All right. But yeah, we can just uh, get into this. Do you want to, I'll take one and you take one? Yeah, let's, let's do that. So let's start with uh, A. All right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll go more or less unless we've screwed it up more or less alphabetical (laughs) so alabama dead children's playground during late night hours swings move by themselves as spirits of buried children come to play are they there because they can't move on and would you like to see that playground yeah i mean i think that there's you know dead children's playgrounds probably in every state and you know who knows why uh they're still there some of the old playground equipment we've seen certainly looks deadly so maybe uh you know they died on the playground and and they're just kind of stuck there i'd i'd love to go see that i'd take a camera in there and see what i can find what about you yeah i would totally go and see one of these this one is um or at least the most famous one in alabama i shouldn't say there's just one but the one we're talking about since we didn't say is a playground that joins with huntsville uh, Huntsville, Alabama's Maple Hill Cemetery. Mm-hmm. You know, looks pretty normal, but yeah, the local, basically kids like teenagers tend to call it Dead Children's Playground. It's interesting. There's a yeah, it's the legend. I'm gonna do that thing where we get way too far into it. The legend that I've seen is that during the flu epidemic of the you know like 1918, mm-hmm. there were a lot of children buried there. So they think that the ghosts are coming out after dark to play in that in that playground. All right, go on. Yeah, that's interesting too. That'd be a good one. All right, Alaska, the Kushtaka, shape-shifting creatures that are a cross between an otter and a man. The Kushtaka make noises that mimic children and wives to lure fishermen, though they are sometimes helpful tricksters. So there's a lot of weird wildlife in Alaska, and. Mm-hmm. I I mean, this could be a regular otter. I, I know they can get pretty big. Sometimes if people aren't used to seeing them move, they move weird. Uh, I saw one, I saw a story recently where this, uh, this place kept get, losing koi fish out of their pond and they put up a camera and it was just a regular otter that was able to sneak through the fence and grab them and mm-hmm. pull them out. So could be a regular otter, could be a Sasquatch. I mean, let's be 
just straight up. Did you send be. me that story, or did we just happen to both run across it? The otter? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we both just ran across it. It wasn't spectacular enough for me to send it to anybody. So. Yeah, it was, Yeah, I saw it. It was like $40,000 or $20,000, something of coin. Yeah. Because it yeah, was like 1500 bucks a pop. <laughs> well, the way I read it, I thought it was one. Like, it was maybe like a 200-year-old koi that, you know, was six foot long or well probably not that big but you know something like that but anyway probably a regular otter or a sasquatch there's so much in alaska that this was just one that we kind of picked out because it was a little different yeah i i like these i mean this is like skinwalker sort of thing you know pacific mm. northwest native kind of tradition it's good stuff uh, anyway yeah slaughterhouse canyon uh, one day a father failed to return. This is Arizona, Slaughterhouse Canyon. Mm. One day a father failed to return to his cabin during the 1800s gold rush and his family starved. The mother went insane, put on her wedding dress, and chopped her children up. Today you can still hear her cries for forgiveness. So this could be a case of just a really good ghost story for campers or a real residual haunting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, any kind of energy put out there especially you know filled with this kind of dread and torment and i mean this is the ultimate betrayal so yeah i think that that energy could be definitely uh, a residual haunting mm -hmm. moving on to arkansas the dog boy so a werewolf-like ghost walks on all fours and haunts his childhood home this myth or legend or fact is based on the sad story of a real man, Gerald Bettis, who was rumored to experiment on stray animals and reportedly abused his elderly parents. This house was originally, I guess, called the Garrett House, and now it's become known as the Bettis House because uh, Floyd and Aileen Bettis moved into the large house in the 1950s and they had trouble having children, but they eventually had a son, Gerald Floyd Bettis, in 1954. And Gerald was, was a difficult child, and basically his neighbors would say they had lines like, quote, his parents were good people, but Gerald was a brat, vicious and cruel. Bettis also developed some unusual habits early on, including collecting cats and dogs, leading to his nickname, dog boy. He would catch stray animals and torture them. We could hear them howl, said one witness. So it was also confirmed that uh, Bettis had a lot of trouble in school and was bullied. Kids would, you know, pester him, steal his stuff. And uh, well, Bettis's actions eventually turned more sinister. He kept his parents virtually imprisoned in the upstairs part of that house. He'd feed them, but only when he decided it was time for them to eat. By the time he was an adult, locals say Bettis towered over his elderly parents at 6'4 and weighing close to 300 pounds. It was regularly reported that he beat up his father and even threw him out of an upstairs window one time during his teen years. Although he was in his 70s at the time, the elder Bettis hung on to the ledge until the local police showed up. According to the Heber Springs Sun-Times, uh, Floyd Bettis died in 81, and it was from an illness, but some say he was pushed down a staircase and died of a broken neck. 
shortly thereafter, his mom fell and broke her hip, requiring a trip to the hospital. And a nurse there witnessed how he treated his mother. And so this nurse said that he was slapping her around and telling her, I'm going to have you arrested if you tell anyone what I did. Not long after this incident, Aileen Bettis was placed in adult protective services and removed from the home permanently. And a little later, Gerald Bettis built a sunroom on the back of the house and sold the plans he grew, including marijuana. Authorities arrested him based on this and his mother's testimony of her abuse. Bettis was put in prison in the late 1980s and died of a drug overdose. So the house has several spirits residing inside, including a World War II soldier. And pretty much everyone who's lived there since has had constant encounters with spirits, including the dog boy who walks around on all fours and pretty much just scares the shit out of everybody. So that's a little bit of an expanded one because there was some information on Zed Dog Boy. Yeah, so you want to take a couple? Zed Dog Boy, yeah, there was a lot to that one. Sure. So we've got California with their Dark Watchers. So the Dark Watchers are uh, featureless dark silhouettes, often with brimmed hats or walking sticks. And they're said to stare down or observe travelers during twilight hours and dawn in the Santa Lucia Mountains. They should not be addressed or acknowledged. And these go back as far as, like, early Spanish mm-hmm. settlers, when that was, you know, Spanish territory, that they would be seen, uh, you know, in this mountain mm-hmm. area. And that that's, you know, about a 140-mile range, I think. And it's never more than 10, 15 miles from the coast. Mm-hmm. So a long range, but, you know, a very specific place for these things to be. And I've seen some, like, artist renderings of them. They're just dark figures with those, like, flat brim hats, glowing eyes, stuff like that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't take much suggestion for me to not address <laughs> yeah. one of them. <laughs> you wouldn't even have to tell me that. Yeah. Yeah, that is for uh, people who are going to thin the gene pool anyway what about colorado 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 has riverdale road which is home to a number of legends including archie and Jughead. while traveling down <laughs> yeah so they've got hanging bodies a lady in white a road to a satanic mansion and the gates of hell i can give you actually a more in-depth rundown if you want because this is kind of letter rip it's it's not as long as a dog boy thing. Yeah, so this is an 11-mile road between Thornton and Brighton. The earliest rumors say that there was a nearby Native American burial ground. So, you know, curses on trespassers and, you know, whatever. The animals would go missing. Uh, people would experience misfortune if they've come in that area. But there are supposed to be both good and bad entities there. There's a legend saying that a gray fox is an evil spirit but a coyote means that there's a good entity looking out for you. I think this is kind of a probably playing into the Native American part of it. So on the north end of the road there used to be a large house or mansion. Legend is that the house, the owner of the home was possessed and burned the house down with his family inside. 
the house had these big iron gates out front, mm-hmm. and people have started calling that the gates, gates of, hell, of hell. You know, which I feel like every state has that. That's something else we can <laughs> do. It's like where, the, yeah, where are the gates of hell in your state, and how many do you have? Because I know there's an old out, like Lebanon road out here on the east side of St. Louis. There's supposedly like seven gates of hell. If you go through them in the right way. Well, all of Washington, uh, D.C. is a gate to hell. So the demons have escaped and put suits <laughs> on, and now they're running the country. So, <laughs> Yeah, so there's a, a rumor also that there was an entire community of Satanists living in the area, performing rituals in the fields on the side of the road. Uh, there's an old dairy that was said to be, or was said to have a tree on the land that was used for hanging witches. Mm-hmm. There are street signs that are sometimes found to be covered in dry blood and handprints. Mm. Some say that this is the work of a ghost, uh, the ghost of a young boy who walked the road on his way to school and was killed during his commute. And he seems to be stuck by, you know, stuck on that, stuck trying to get off that road, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then other people just report seeing ghosts of joggers and a woman in white on the side of the street. Hmm. So hopefully this doesn't sound too... Hopefully that was easy enough to follow. Yeah. But there are a lot of like little legends on here that don't have a ton of backstory. But I've definitely seen some of these with like women that randomly appear uh-huh. on roads. I don't know if you've seen those on YouTube videos where people have like footage from their dash yeah. cam. They'll see like the same woman appearing on the side of the road over and over over the course of miles. Yeah, I think that my luck, I'd be like, you know what? I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. I'm gonna go for a jog today. I get hit by a car, die. I'm de- condemned to jog throughout the rest of jog yeah. Forever. Like that would just be the worst. That'd be pretty rough. All right, so Connecticut. And they get pissed if you call it connected. We did a whole story on on Annabelle, but yeah, just give them a quick rundown. Yeah, on Annabelle, yeah. Yeah, Annabelle the demonic doll. So the doll in The Conjuring and Annabelle is inspired by a real-life Raggedy Ann doll, supposedly inhabited by the spirit of a dead girl, which was given to two demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren. You might have heard of them. Kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. After some extremely ah, malicious ah. paranormal activity. All right, you want to take over since the dogs are losing their shit? Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome to Delaware. There's no lighthouse in Cape Henlopen, but there is a phantom light. It crashed the ship Devonshireman on Christmas of 1665, and more than 200 men died. Allegedly, the light is a curse from a local Native American tribe after British soldiers slaughtered attendees at a wedding ceremony so basically this is a phantom light that I guess is trying to alter ships courses to make them run into land and sink their boats so yeah yeah seems so like that's it. I mean that's just it is what it is Delaware corpse light. What's next? <laughs> All right. Florida, the devil's chair. Casadega spiritualist camp is full of ghosts, apparently. But one chair in particular is supposedly a favorite of the the main guy himself. 
According to local folklore, if you sit in it, he will whisper horrible things in your ear, forever changing you. And if you leave a beer on his chair overnight, he'll drink it, sometimes even if the can is still sealed. So this is kind of an interesting one. You know, we, we talk about how things can be possessed and uh, why not a chair? So yeah, it's a, I believe, I want to say this is in a bar in Florida. And yeah, you go in and sit in it and he's going to change your life by whispering naughty things in your ear. So avoid the devil's chair. All right, the cursed pillar of Georgia. After a preacher was told he couldn't deliver a sermon next to the pillar, he declared that the whole town would be destroyed and the pillar would be the only thing left standing. What a great preacher, right? Like, I'm sorry, Reverend, um, you can't be next to that pillar. Well, then you're all going to die. I'm going to make sure that you're all dead because I can't preach next to this pillar. That's how fucking important this pillar is, okay? <laughs> so, uh, ironically, a freak tornado later destroyed most of Augusta, leaving the pillar still standing. So, I don't know. That's an asshole preacher. I mean, what kind of a man of God would be like, oh, you don't want me to preach here? Well, then your whole town's going to go. I don't know. Seems kind of harsh. We've got one more before a break. What are we on? We are on Hawaii's Night Marchers. And this is one of the ones that I'm actually somewhat familiar with. Haven't experienced them myself, thankfully. The deadly ghosts of ancient Hawaiian warriors march over the waters, chanting and blowing conch shells. If you hear them, run. Right? Mm -hmm. The legend that I have heard is if you, the Night Marchers will move along a set mm -hmm. path very much like a residual haunting. Yeah. You know, I've heard stories where they're where they're spotted and they're like halfway in the ground because the ground has built up on this side or there's a wall on this side or, you know, some kind of retention. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are caught by them, you... Well, I think you die. I think that's the story. Yeah. They kill you or they take you away or something like that. You're supposed to cover your like you're supposed to piss yourself. I think cover yourself in piss mm. and lie face down on the ground, preferably in a ditch, if you hear them. And that's the only way they might leave you alone. Well, I would leave somebody alone if they were covered in piss too. Yeah, so would I. <laughs> All right, perfect. All right, find out about the water babies of Massacre Rocks after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So in Idaho, it is the water babies of Massacre Rocks. Beside the tranquil river's edge, an unsettling phenomenon whispers through the stillness, a chorus of infantile cries. They're said to be the echoes of babies whose mothers faced a harrowing choice during times of famine, a heartbreaking act of mercy, sparing their children from the ravages of starvation. Yet the macabre twist, so basically they're drowning them, just to point that out. Yeah. Uh, but the macabre twist to this tale claims that these forsaken infants transformed into cunning denizens of the water, possessing 
the attributes of fins and gills. The eerie legend that we're talking about centers around the Massacre Rocks State Park in Idaho. So this is, this was used on the uh, Oregon Trail, and we know all too well from 8-bit video games that the Oregon Trail was rough. Uh, <laughs> so as these pioneers journeyed westward, they traversed the very grounds that constitute this modern-day state park today, renowned for its historical significance. But there's the sinister urban legend that remains shrouded in obscurity. Mm-hmm. Nestled beyond the borders of Pocatello, Idaho, lies the breathtaking expanse of the Massacre Rock State Park. So obviously people traveling on this trail were worried about getting ambushed by Native American tribes, uh, you know, rightfully so. I guess another prevailing belief about this haunting is that the region's original Native American inhabitants endured a brutal famine and it ultimately you know, made made it to where their resources couldn't sustain any new people, right? So they couldn't take anybody in, they couldn't feed their babies. But, you know, allegedly the mothers were compelled to descend to the river's edge and relinquish their newborns to the watery depths. So you have the legend of pioneers doing it and Native Americans doing it. So this is horrific right i mean i understand that you don't you know that you want to spare your family as much as you can but drowning your babies i mean this is you know i mean this is as brutal as it really gets right yeah i mean i could definitely see how this place is haunted and these baby spirits are out looking for revenge yeah revenge babies so tell us about Illinois, your home state. So this is the story of ghost elephants being in Illinois. So ghost elephants supposedly haunt a section of Woodlawn Cemetery called Showman's Rest. Now the story there, I've seen a couple versions of it. One says that the train wreck was in 1918. The other says 1915. But it's basically the same thing. There was a real life train derailment which caused the deaths of a number of circus performers and animals at least five elephants in most of the accounts that I've seen so the dead performers and the dead animals were brought to showman's rest apparently some versions of the story say the elephants were too big and too heavy and were buried on site but most of the accounts say that showman's rest has a number of large elephant statues and there are people who claim to see and hear elephants and shadows of elephants moving around at night Hmm. so this could be you know people's imagination that they're seeing the shadows of these you know kind of imposing statues but how close are you to woodlawn you don't you don't see it everywhere else uh woodlawn is near chicago so it's there's a woodlawn in Edwardsville, but it's not the woodlawn they're talking about. The woodlawn that has Showman's Rest is kind of, I think, straight west of Chicago. Gotcha. Whatever. Doesn't even matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. We re- Doesn't matter. Up near Chicago. Chicago. And I can go ahead and do the 
Indiana one if you want, because I've... Sure, go ahead. All right, so next we've got the Green Clawed Beast in the Ohio River. This is an Indiana legend. So this is basically a cryptid that is believed to inhabit the Ohio River. It's described as being around six feet tall with green skin, claws, and a long tail. And some have described it as having the head of either a turtle or a crocodile. So the reported sightings of this thing go back to about 1894. There were two Ohio newspapers that reported seeing a creature swimming in the river near Vevey, Indiana. And at that time, they described it as being about five feet long with yellow skin and sharp claws. So he's gotten a little bit of a tan and gotten a little taller in the last you know, hundred something years. Uh, but there have been other sightings that I know we want to talk about here. Uh, in 1955, two women swimming in the river near Evansville reported being attacked by a creature with green claws. One of the women was scratched on the leg and the other said that she saw its face, which she described as being like a turtle's. There's no, you know, as far as I can find, there's no real, uh, like hard evidence of a creature that could be mistaken for this. You know what I mean? And it's become sort of a part of like a tourist attraction kind of thing in that area. They've got festivals and events that kind of celebrate this thing. They've even got a, apparently a Turtle Days festival in Vevey. But, you know, it's like what we were talking about uh, last time, I guess. You know, like with Roswell, they've embraced the whole alien thing. Made it a big part of their culture and their economy. I think for this one... Now, obviously, these animals don't have claws that they can grab people with, but the alligator gar is, you know, Mm. at some point was in that area. I I don't know if they're there anymore. They seem to be, you know, losing habitat left and right, but they can grow to six feet long, no problem. Green, scaly, uh, big, sharp you know, strong teeth and jaws. Uh, So it's not going to be able to grab somebody with a claw, but it could grab somebody with its mouth. Uh, That would be very painful because they have, you know, big needle-like teeth. But that's, you know, really the only thing I can think of. Uh, There's not, you know, there's never been reports of Kappa in the area, so. Right, yeah. Yeah, the only other thing would maybe be like alligator snappers, but yeah, again, not really the same thing. Those are fairly small. Yeah. All right, on to Iowa, the Velisca Axe Murder House. So this was a real thing. This this isn't something that's like really up for debate. You know, you can debate on whether there's a ghost or not, but the Velisca Axe Murder took place in in 1912 and basically it was the two parents four children and two people that were staying at the house were bludgeoned to death in their sleep and since then the house has been the source of odd paranormal activity such as a ghost hunter stabbing himself in the chest in 2014 don't don't know about that one uh yeah i didn't know but you know there's a difference between uh you know having a a pen or a pencil and poking yourself and stabbing yourself with a knife. So I guess, mm-hmm. oh, well, we're moving on. Tell us about Kansas. Kansas. Kansas has 
uh-huh. a gateway to hell. Yeah. Unsurprisingly. So this one appears to be in a town called Stull. And it's an abandoned, you know, mostly demolished church and cemetery. Mm-hmm. And it is said that there's a staircase going down into the basement, but at certain times, like during Halloween and the spring equinox, it will keep going down and down until you get to hell itself. Don't try it, Crypt Keepers. Or at least videotape it and send it to us if you do. It's a, it's a pretty cool story. I like that as being a, a rumor about... Although it's not the best use for an abandoned church that I found. There's that... What is the abandoned church? Abandoned church... Skate Park, St. Louis. Have you ever seen this? Oh, it burned down. What the? (laughs) Apparently, it burned down this summer. Of course, it did. Yeah, it was named Skate Laborious. Huh. Uh, Yeah, I knew somebody that got married there. Mm -hmm. They got married there while it was a skate park. It was like an old abandoned church, you know. But it was this big, beautiful building, kind of north of uh, the city, in an area that it looks like they're trying to redevelop. But yeah, I, I knew a guy who did a Star Wars themed wedding there. Oh god. It was really it was like so weird, but it's like I don't know. I couldn't tell the guy. It's like, "Oh, that's so cool." But it's like, "You're crazy as hell." So this works mm. perfectly for you. I didn't know exactly how he'd take that. <laughs> they had a big nerf battle in there and everything. Anyway. But short of a skate park, this is a good uh Good use for a church to have a a rumor and a legend like this. Yeah, and I, my favorite from Kansas is the Atchison, uh, Kansas Sally House. So we'll we'll maybe do an episode on that one day. But this is this is kind of a cool one too. Let's jump ahead to the Kentucky Goblins. We did a whole episode on this. Mm-hmm. It's called the Kelly Hopkinsville Incident or Encounter. And you can go back and listen to that for an in-depth description of what happened. But basically, uh, it was a supposed extraterrestrial appearance of small, goblin-like, green, hairless children with three toes. And they had standoffs with firearms with these things, and all kinds of crazy stuff happened. They were actually... uh, part of a Project Blue Book investigation. They were the subject of a, a government investigation that was mm. really shoddy. Uh, but they basically said, oh, no, it's just owls. You guys have been seeing owls. And then the green glowing stuff in the forest is uh, some sort of bacteria with bioluminescence. So <laughs> um, you may as well just say it's swamp gas. But um, so, yeah, check it. Check out the episode on the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. It's it's entertaining and fun. But uh, let's uh, jump ahead to the the Lugaru. 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 Yes, the Lugaru is a creature from Cajun folklore. So the legend says that this beast has the body of a man and the head of a wolf or a dog and prowls the swamps in Louisiana looking for misbehaving children. So the name is derived from the French you know, version of werewolf basically. And the legend is said to have originated in France but was brought to Louisiana by French settlers in the 18th century. 
this is supposed to be a basically a cursed person. It's said that you can become a Rugaru or Lugaru, depending on your pronunciation, if you break certain religious norms. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the ones that I found were like things that you're supposed to do in Lent, such as not eating meat or having sex. I didn't know you weren't supposed to have sex in Lent. Nobody ever told me that. Yeah. <laughs> I might be a Lugaru. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody ever warned me about this one. <laughs> Uh, it says that the curse can only be lifted, though, if the person confesses to their sin and receives absolution from a priest. So that's a lot easier than, like, a silver bullet or, you know, having to have a virgin read from a book or something like that. Yeah, I'm thinking of... Uh, Assuming you know you're a Luga read. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, Monster Squad. They have to have a virgin read this spell or whatever from this book in, like, old German. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, it's... So this thing is said to attack livestock and people, especially children, and has the power to curse those who observe it, leading to bad luck and just general misfortune throughout their lives. And there are different accounts. Some say they're only active during Lent or certain religious periods. Some say that it's active all year round. Some say that it is solitary. Others say that it travels in packs. Mm -hmm. But it is... It's a French werewolf. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's a French werewolf. It's basically like a yaoi, you know, Australian, Australian for Sasquatch. Is that offensive? <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> but yeah, so the the Lugaru, which is kind of how they say it, the, to the best of my ability, or the Rugaru, they're pretty cool. They're definitely something that is a Cajun French Catholic thing, which kind of makes it cool to me that it's like, oh no, there's just this werewolf that goes around murdering people when they're having sex during Lent. So uh, <laughs> so it's cool, man. It's definitely different. But uh, you want to move on to yeah. Maine? If you have fun during Lent, the, the Lugaru is going to come eat you. Eat this disgusting cake and pull the baby out, and you'll be safe. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us about Maine, Maine. All right. (laughs) They've got Colonel Buck's tomb. So after a woman became pregnant with Colonel Buck's son, he forced her out to care. All right, this is crazy. This this story is crazy. (laughs) It's so crazy, I didn't even know how to say it was crazy. (laughs) So this woman becomes pregnant by a guy named Colonel Buck. Uh She has a son, and he forces her out of the house, and she has to take care of this kid alone. Later on, for whatever reason, he has her. He accuses her of being a witch, and she's burned. Now, the son was at <laughs> the event where she was burned, and her leg fell off and rolled out of the bonfire, and he just, like, scooped it up and took off. Every man wants a third leg. <laughs> Apparently... The son, yeah, gained some kind of, I guess, magical ability or curse and cursed his father's tomb. So the the tomb is has a stain on it that looks like a leg, apparently, uh-huh. <laughs> despite attempts to clean it, replace the materials it's made of, whatever, that stain comes back. 
That's a crazy story. That is a weird one. <laughs> There's only like 30 people that live in Maine, so, you know, you kind of don't have a lot to work with. All right. You want me to go into the goat man? I can do the goat man in Maryland. Oh, I, I could do that. Well, I guess I'll tell you about the goat man after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So, the Goatman of Maryland is another legendary creature said to inhabit the woods of Prince George County, Maryland. It's described as a bipedal creature with the head and legs of a goat and the body of a man. So I'm guessing he's like a buff man. Yeah. I haven't seen a picture. Uh, it's said to be very strong and aggressive and often blamed for livestock mutilations and attacks on people. The legend apparently originates in around the 1970s, and one of the most common stories is that a scientist at the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center was experimenting on goats when something went wrong, and he was transformed into the goat man. <laughs> oh, that would be something bad. Something went bad in the experiment. <laughs> Another story is that the goat man is a former goat herder who went insane after his goats were killed. But I met some, I'm, I mean, there are some crazy people out mm. there. Somebody, somebody came up with the Colonel Buck story. Well, dude. And that person didn't turn into a goat. I would be furious if someone killed all my goats. I mean, I don't sure. have any, but if I, I did. I wouldn't turn into one. No. No, you wouldn't. I was pissed that the rabbits ate my symphony bar one night, but I didn't, like, grow a symphony bar on my head. But you would have if you could have. Eat that motherfucker. Maybe. Maybe. That'd be a good superpower. Just grow chocolate. <laughs> yeah, just be able to grow stuff. If I was Deadpool and I could just regenerate any part of my body, I would just sell kidneys all the time. Yeah. That'd be great. Anyway. <laughs> so there no, have because they just fucking uh, capture you and take you to China. And make you keep growing. That's true. Kidneys for people. That is, that is a good point. Yeah, I'd have to pretend like I was harvesting them from other people. I love the uh, meme for uh, Wolverine, where it's like, <laughs> you know, it's got like Hugh Jackman with like a puzzled look on his face, kind of, and it's like that moment when Wolverine realizes he could save more lives by selling organs than by fighting evil. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. All right. It does make sense, though. All right. So there have been a number of sightings over the years. In 1971, in particular, a group of teenagers claimed to have seen the Goatman near Fletchertown Road in Bowie, Maryland. They said that it was about seven feet tall and had glowing red eyes. They also said that it chased them before disappearing into the woods. There have been other more recent sightings. Uh, in 2014, a man claimed to have seen it near Governor's Bridge in Prince George County. He said it was standing on the side of the road and just staring at him. The man said that he was so scared he just kept driving, didn't stop or anything. Mm -hmm. Which, I don't know, that seems pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> to just be like, what is, I'm just gonna drive. Just gonna put some distance so between it's, us. Yeah. So, again, this is one of those things where it's kind of become part of the cultural fabric there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still a popular legend. There are websites and forums dedicated to it and even tours 
that go to the places where the goat man's been sighted. You know, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. There are tours around here too. There are ghost tours in like Alton, mm-hmm. since Alton is one of the most haunted towns in America. So there's an incentive here to keep these stories going, whether they're real or not. For sure. We ready for the puckwudgies? Puckwudgies? Like I can say puckwudgies, but I always mess up Massachusetts. So we'll just leave it at that. So these tiny gray tricksters resembling humanoid porcupines will supposedly lure people off cliffs or trap them in sand in the swampy regions of Massachusetts. According to legend, puckwudgies can appear and disappear at will shapeshift and one of the most common forms is a creature that looks like a porcupine from the back and a half troll half human from the front walks upright and lures people to their death they use magic they launch poison arrows and create fire native americans believe that puckwudgies were once friendly to humans but then turn against them and are best left alone According to lore, a person who annoyed a puckwudgie would be subject to nasty tricks by it or subject to being followed by the puckwudgie who would cause trouble for them. They are known to kidnap people, push them off cliffs, attack their victims with short knives and spears, and to use sand to blind their victims. So these little half-troll porcupines are no pushovers, Ryan. They've got stuff planned for you, and none of it's good. So Michigan has the Nain Rouge. Out of the various Michigan urban legends, this one seems <laughs> kind of ridiculous, but maybe a little bit feasible as well. Detroit is haunted by a small, impish hobgoblin <laughs> who predicts misfortune and has cursed the city. I can believe that the city is cursed. Mm-hmm. He was seen in the 1805 fire, which nearly destroyed the whole city, the 1968 riots, and the 1976 ice storm. You know, some rumors have it he was also secretly Lee Iacocca and is responsible for uh, kind of destroying the American car industry a little bit. And, you know, the greatest deception. What is the greatest deception? That the devil doesn't exist. The second greatest deception (laughs) was when Lee Iacocca took over Chrysler, made one car, one car, and convinced the world that he made 15. Right. Dude, <laughs> that's the second. I had session. one of those cars. It was a, a Dodge Daytona, <laughs> and that was fun. That car, you know, it had like 180 horsepower, but it was a five-speed, and it got it. I mean, it it really ran well. What's funny is, so this was a a blue 1984 five-speed, right, turbo. It was one of the first turbos Chrysler ever made. It was the 2.0, and and it was pretty quick. So my friend had a Chrysler LeBaron turbo. Same exact car, just a different body style. And Mm -hmm. they even had a turbo minivan five-speed. I I literally saw a minivan, whatever the caravan was back then or whatever. Yeah. uh, Two, you know, front bucket seats with a five-speed and nothing else. Everything back was completely empty. I was like, this is insane. Like, who would make this? And there you go, (laughs) Lee Iacocca. Yeah. All right. So in Minnesota, (laughs) Minnesota, Minnesota. Minnesota. We the, wind, the Wendigo. And we'll do a Wendigo. The Wendigo, Piri. 
we'll do a Wendigo episode, but just real quick, it's one of the oldest legendary monsters dating back to the folklore of Native Americans who hunted these 15-foot-tall shape-shifting creatures even into the early 20th century. Anyone who resorts to cannibalism and tastes human flesh will become a Wendigo. And these are popular in Canada, throughout our Great Lakes regions, and in the uh, New England area as well. Uh, with the Native Americans yeah. that that lived in all those areas, but I don't remember if they called them Wendigos, but they were obviously Wendigos in certain areas in The Witcher Three. Mm. So even in video games and pop culture, they're they're around. Yep. All right. So in Mississippi, they have Mercritus. Yeah. This is an urban legend of an infectious disease, and. Uh, it is supposedly, you know, an outbreak from Mississippi in a rural town that was later covered up by the government and the medical establishment. So the idea is it's kind of a version of lead poisoning. Mm. So it's either now I've seen it that it's either that a man ingests lead and gets this poisoning um well, I guess that I guess that is what it is. It's that men ingest large amounts of lead from paint or whatever these other sources are and develop this mercritus disease. Mm -hmm. The lead would then impact the man's hormones, causing them to give off a smell that would attract women. <laughs> so if I saw that you were getting women because you're sitting in your backyard eating paint chips, I'm, I might do changing that too. Changing your style, up, changing your approach. <laughs> But then the women would be driven insane by the smell, by that hormone that you put out, and would become essentially homicidal maniacs. Yeah. So this legend is uh, originates from the 1950s when there was a rash of killings in a small town in Mississippi. The victims were all women, and many of them were killed by men that they knew. The police were never able to solve the murders, and the legend of this mercritus disease started to spread and became a legend it's kind of neat a little different right i'm sure there's yeah you know plenty of cryptids and stuff like that and plenty of hauntings and ghosts in mississippi but we picked this one because it's just weird a little different yeah and there's probably more to the story that we could get into but yeah that's all i want to do just just a quick overview this could be like an after party sometime sounds good this is bizarre all right on to missouri zombie road stories about strange deaths along the road as far back as native american times and drownings in the nearby river made it a fun haunted spot for teenagers for decades but many of them have perished in strange accidents too dark shadows follow you here seen only out of the corner of your eye and if you're in the area crypt keepers Sometime in mid to late October, I will be doing a free zombie road tour. So you can come on down. Hopefully Ryan can make it. We can hang out. I'll take you on a tour of the road and show you where all the crazy stuff happened, where all the deaths happened, where the hauntings took place and stuff like that. So keep keep a, an eye out. I'll let you guys know on all the social medias. Uh, as soon as we have a date picked out. But uh, you want to go on and tell them about a couple more? Sure. 
So in Montana, we have the Phantom Hitchhiker of Black Horse Lake. A Native American man with long black hair wearing an outdated baggy jacket and jeans who collides with cars suddenly appearing on their windshield only for him to vanish without a dent or really any trace of him left behind at all. He's also been known to hitch a ride and chase cars at inhuman speeds. So I'm sure we've all heard stories like this where you pick up a hitchhiker who's just gone or there's somebody running alongside your car. I know I've heard these stories before, you know, people sharing their experiences on Reddit, not just creepypastas, which are fiction, but, you know, claiming that these things really happen. Uh, even some of the paranormal caught on video type TV shows have talked about this cab drivers picking people up and then they're just they just vanish out of the car. Mm -hmm. All right. Nebraska apparently has radioactive hornets. So this is a more recent urban legend. Uh, after the Fukushima nuclear disaster, the locals of Nebraska believed that mutant hornets from that area had grown yeah. to four times their normal size and were running rampant locally. So this legend apparently originated in 2013 and claims that, yeah, somehow hornets made their way from Japan to Nebraska, I guess without affecting anything else along the way. These hornets are said to be extremely aggressive and have been 2,000 times stronger than non-mutated ones. Yep. Uh, there's no particular evidence, really, that supports this. Uh, and the Asian giant hornet, which is the largest species of hornet in the world, is not found in Nebraska. So unusual, but <laughs> just a really, it's just a really weird rumor. Okay. Ryan will tell you about the spiteful mermaid of Pyramid Lake after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. What is in Nevada that's not Area 51? Uh, quite a few things are not Area 51. Sure. But there are other things that deserve a little bit more attention than Area 51. Well, not more attention than Area 51, but more attention than they're getting because right. they're overshadowed. Mm -hmm. So the spiteful mermaid of Pyramid Lake, as this legend is called, is said to have originated with the Paiute tribe. The legend tells of a beautiful young woman who was promised in marriage to a man she didn't love, right? Typical fairy tale beginning. Yes. On the night before her wedding, she ran away to Pyramid Lake and drowned herself. So this is a German fairy tale. <laughs> Those tend to be a little bit darker. Little bit. So this legend says that the woman's spirit now haunts the lake. And she is said to have taken on the form of basically a mermaid and become a, a vengeful mermaid, mm -hmm. which does not sound that um, threatening. Unless you're in the water. She said to, yeah, she said to lure fishermen to their deaths and be responsible for the disappearance of several children. There have been a few reported sightings of this mermaid over the years. In 1974, a group of fishermen claimed to have seen her swimming in the lake. They said she was about six feet tall and had long, flowing hair. They also said that she had a green-blue tail. There have been other sightings 
since then that are more recent. In 2012, a woman claimed to have seen her while she was fishing with her family. She said the mermaid was swimming close to the shore and had a look of anger on her face. So this is still a popular legend in Nevada today. There are websites and forums dedicated to it. And as far as I've been able to find, I think there are tours of that area as well, Mm -hmm. kind of showing where she's been spotted in the past. Rafting tours. All right. right, Do you want to get on to Goody? What are we on? Goody Coal, New Hampshire? Yeah. So in New Hampshire, there is uh, a lady that her name was Eunice, who I would probably pick, you know, I'd be like, just give me a nickname, whatever, whatever. Just pick one, anything, anything. Okay, fine. Goody. So she was known as Goody Coal. And she was blamed for numerous local tragedies and was accused of witchcraft, which again we see in New England. Uh, Legend says the locals staked her heart to make sure she wouldn't bother them, but they continued to blame numerous events on her. Some say she still pays a visit from time to time. So this is basically a story about a woman who was, you know, Basically, I'm sure what happened is they kind of murdered her, right? Uh Uh, And, uh I mean, it is what it is. You murder someone and they come back and haunt you. Well, whatever, dude. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. All right. Tell us about the the ghost boy. The ghost boy of Clinton Road. Uh, The ghost boy of Clinton Road is supposed to be a... A, an actual nice and helpful spirit that lives under a bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the legend is, you know, it's one of these things, if you do a thing, you know, if you leave the beer here, something drinks it, this is if you throw a coin into the river, this ghost boy will return it to you. That's pretty nice. So that's kind of a cool one. Or like, uh, oh god, what's the ghost? There's a ghost road where if you if your car stops on it you'll be pushed uphill yeah because there were children like hit like a butt like there was an accident between a bus and a train or something and if your car stops on the tracks like you'll be pushed out of the way by these ghost children yeah and we can do a whole episode on that too i i think that that's all the way that the landscape looks like you it looks like you're going uphill because of the way the Mm. roads cut through and then you know, you, you're constantly opening and closing your trunk, so you have handprints and oil all over your your trunk, and then you drive where it's dusty and the dust sticks to them, and it's like, oh, it was people that pushed me off. But you know, hey, we could have done the uh, right. Jersey Devil, but we wanted to switch yeah. it up a little bit. So, yeah, New Mexico yeah. handprints and stuff will come back on your car. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to New Mexico. If you're traveling lone country roads after dark, avoid this demon, which appears as a woman. She drives people insane, and if you see her, either you or someone you love shall die. La Maya Ora, a term closely related to the Devil's Hour or the Witching Hour, is a phenomenon deeply embedded in the folklore of Mexico, New Mexico, and in various cultures worldwide. So normally these uh, encounters take place at 3 a.m., which is, you know, long been known as the witching hour, and they cause people to awaken suddenly and have feelings of dread. 
in Mexican folklore and then, you know, carrying over into New Mexico, it is a malevolent entity with sinister connotations, and this being would hunt, torment, and kill anyone daring enough to disregard the warnings and venture home alone during this dreaded hour. So, basically, it's it's just something that could drive you crazy by seeing it, which I think you can say that probably about a lot of spirits because people would be like, that can't be real, I must be crazy. Now there's also, with this one is a, a little different, when this spirit is dressed in white, it exudes an aura of gentleness and grace, often luring weary travelers into a trance-like state. And what's interesting is with this entity, you are supposed to be able to see, you know, distance between her feet and the ground and that her toes point backwards. And I don't know in this if it's the entire foot or just the toes are on in reverse, but either way, it's pretty creepy. But if you see La Maya Aura dressed in black, it stops travelers by any means necessary and directly attacks them with sharp pointed nails. Those with strong wills are advised to hope for an encounter during a white night. While encountering the entity in black attire, it's considered extremely perilous. And there was a, a story that appeared on the internet. There was a woman that was going to visit her friend and almost hit a woman in the road. And this person later allegedly turned out to be La Maya. Or, so that's supposed to signify imminent death. And when she calls her husband, she discovers he has tragically been mugged and shot to death in a separate location, cementing the eerie reputation of this spectral entity. How enigmatic. It is. What about what about New York? What's going on in New York? Uh they have Cropsy? Yep. Is that how you would pronounce that? It is. So this is an escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand which would snatch, or who would snatch, children in Staten Island. But the old legend became horrifyingly real when a killer named Andre Rand was actually caught in the 1970s. And there's a great uh, documentary just called Cropsy where they they cover all this stuff. It's a, it's a good story, yeah. Um, and, and it kind of centers around... I can't remember the name of the uh, facility that uh, was exposed by Geraldo in the uh, 1970s in Staten Island, but they basically went in with cameras and, you know, this hospital for, you know, the mentally ill, mentally challenged people with disabilities, uh, they're just... Willowbrook? Yeah, 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 just laying on the floor in their own feces mm -hmm. they get sprayed with hoses instead of showers they you know never had any you know silverware or anything to eat their food uh they were basically i mean it's about as bad as as you can imagine so interesting story yeah and this guy andre rand is apparently still in jail mm -hmm. He's at uh, Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York, and it will be eligible for parole in 2037. He's got to be. This guy was then. born in 1944. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, he won't make it out. Mm. All right. 
So next we've got North Carolina, the Vampire Beast of Blade Bladenboro. That's mm-hmm. a cool name. It is. I shouldn't be laughing before we talk about gruesome deaths, but the Beast of Bladenboro is a cryptid said to have terrorized Bladenboro, North Carolina in 1953 and 54. It is described as being uh, a large cat-like creature with glowing red eyes and is said to have long, sharp claws and teeth. The first reported sighting was on December 29th of 1953. A woman named uh, Lillian Johnson was walking her dog when she saw a large black creature in her backyard. The creature was about five feet long and had glowing red eyes. Mrs. Johnson said that the creature hissed at her and her dog before running off. There were also you know, several other reported sightings of this creature in the following weeks. And in January of 1954, two dogs were found dead in their kennels. They had been torn to pieces and their blood had been drained. So there is a, a blood drinking sort of aspect to mm-hmm. this legend. Uh, there are other stories about, you know, more attacks, animals being killed. Pet rabbit was discovered, decapitated, and a goat had its head flattened. Uh, so there are, yeah, different accounts of how it looked, different accounts of how it sounded. One of the ones that's most believable is that it makes a strange noise like a baby's cry, mm-hmm. right? Because we see that kind of thing in predators, but also in a lot of sort of paranormal encounters. You hear children, you hear babies, yeah. things that would make a person just walk into an area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Luring cries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big claws, probably some... I mean, most likely this is going to be a mountain lion, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. I don't think that a, I mean, a house cat could take the head off of a rabbit, no problem. Yeah. I don't know that, you know, a house cat is going to be able to smash a goat head, but. Goat head, yeah. Yeah. In any case, it's kind of a cool little story they have. They probably have a high school mascot, you know, named the Vampire Beast or something like that. But we don't have all day, so we're going to move on to North Dakota in the Mini Washitu. Oh, man, they stole my name for a laundromat I was going to open here. (laughs) So The Mini Washitu. (laughs) So North Dakota, I think, probably has... Uh, some more but this this one was mentioned and i thought this was kind of cool so it's a red bison like water monster of the missouri river that travels upstream to break ice and anyone who sees it alone in the daytime will go insane so if you can picture a red you know what most people know as as buffalo but it's actually a bison here in the states these uh huge hulking beasts just going upstream breaking ice i could see them doing that you know one or two and they certainly can have a red you know appearing coat in you know direct sunlight but i don't know kind of a kind of a neat one a little different do you want to tell us about ohio ohio sure i can do that this is one of my favorites i love this one so loveland fog No, the frog. You said fog, but that's I did say frog. 
That'd be the Loveland Fog would be a good band name. All right, Loveland Frog. Well, I'll tell you about that. It also Lo- Loveland Fog would be a great name for a bad coat designer. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't afford London Fog, so you get Loveland Fog. That's not bad. Okay, so this is another cryptid said to inhabit the Little Miami River in Loveland, Ohio. It's described as being humanoid, about four feet long, with green skin, webbed feet, and a long tail. It, uh, <laughs> it's Some say that it has glowing red eyes, and it is said to stand up on its hind legs, wave a wand over its head, and shoot sparks to deter humans as it hangs out on the sides of roads in Loveland at night. <laughs> You laugh. I saw some people uh, hunting a tiger in Siberia. They it was one that was uh, coming into town, so they, you know, trank darted it, and it charged them, and they pulled out flares, you know, just yeah. regular road flares, and it kept it away. So well, that's I was like, imagine. damn, that's fucking brilliant. Somebody in like a Gorn costume with a road flare over their head. Hey. Okay, so the first reported sighting was in 1955. A man named Carl Hunk, which is a solid name, (laughs) was driving home from work when he saw a creature crossing the road. It was about four feet tall and had green skin. Hunk said it had glowing red eyes and looked like a frog. Uh, there There was another... There were other reported sightings over the years. In 1972... There was another incident. A Loveland police officer reported that he had seen an animal consistent with descriptions of the frogman. Uh, the officer said that the animal was about three feet tall and had leathery skin. <sighs> uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. A second officer said that it was an iguana missing its tail. I don't know, man. <clears throat> there are apparently other, you know, similar folkloric figures. We've even talked about some of them. You mentioned, what was the, God, the Japanese one? Kappa. The Kikoi? Ka- Kappa. Kappa. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Yeah, there are there are other creatures like this out there. So. What kind of disturbs me about this one is, like, you see this thing. You don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I'm just going to shoot it. And, you know, according to this police officer later, it was a large iguana that was missing its tail so you don't shoot what you don't know what it is right yeah and the original account of it uh what is it ray shockey uh-huh said that he saw an unidentified animal crossing riverside drive near the totes boot factory in the little miami river the animal was fully illuminated in his vehicle's headlights and was described as three to four feet long and weighing about 50 to 75 pounds. That would be a big iguana, especially without mm-hmm. a tail. Iguanas are mostly tail. True. So he, Shocky, saw this thing crouched like a frog, and it apparently stood up briefly, like, you know, just stood up like a person. Mm-hmm. Climbed over a guardrail and disappeared towards the river. I also wonder if it just crawled over the guardrail and it kind of looked like it was standing up as it pushed itself up but mm. that's just me but yeah so they said it was an iguana later yeah but they said that they shot a creature that was like it and it was an iguana missing its tail I don't buy that 
Well, I do think that iguanas have the red eye shine in lights. So that's something because everything in these stories has red eyes. And the only thing that I'm aware of so far that should reflect back as red would be an iguana. Well, it's also worth noting that from what I've seen, I don't know if you have this in your notes. I haven't seen anything saying that this creature actually attacks anybody. Right. It's supposed to be pretty gentle. And I think there's even a children's book written about it. Hmm. You know, and there's like a frog festival. You know, it's again, another one of these things where it's part of the local culture. I love, I love this stuff, man. That, that needs to be part of the book too. It's like when these festivals are going on, like when is it festival season? Like around here, we have all these different festivals. And if you time it right, you have like a festival every weekend. We Mm -hmm. need that for like road tripping. Like, okay, you start off in Maine on this date, hit this festival. Then you go down to, you know, somewhere in New York state, you hit this festival. That'd be awesome. It would be. Okay. Well, it's on. (laughs) That'd be a lot of work. (laughs) A lot of work, but it'd be worth it. But to put it together over a couple of years, assuming that the, you know, you get to go back and get the times right for the festivals. Yeah, we don't have time to talk about it now. Let's move on to Oklahoma. <laughs> the Men in Black at Shaman's Portal. Beaver Dunes Park is the Bermuda Triangle of Oklahoma with weird disappearances dating back as far as Coronado's time, when his men disappeared in flashes of green light. According to superstition, anyone who learns anything about what's truly buried underneath the sand disappears. Beaver Dunes Park, located in the Oklahoma Panhandle, is the setting of this mysterious legend referred to as Oklahoma's Bermuda Triangle. And this has been, you know, tied to lots of phenomena and historical events, military excavations in the area, and even some men in black. So, according to the legend, when Francisco Coronado ventured through the area on his quest to discover New World gold, he ignored the warnings of his Native American guides to stay away from the dunes. As a consequence, three members of his expedition supposedly vanished suddenly before his eyes, accompanied by strange flashes of green lightning. Coronado himself documented this phenomenon in his expedition diary, attributing it to the work of the devil. The dunes are known by the locals as the Shaman's Portal, and over time they've been linked to alleged disappearances, although no recent cases have been confirmed. But there's been claims of mysterious nighttime military excavations in the area. Why would they choose to uh, do some excavations at night? Mm. Uh, In the 1990s, Dr. Mark Thatcher from Oklahoma State University who was an archaeologist, reportedly conducted a three-year study of the dunes after receiving reports of unspecified strange findings. His research was allegedly interrupted by individuals with military credentials who resembled the MIB. Additionally, another unidentified university geological team from the mid-1990s is said to have studied the area, discovering anomalies like ionized soil and electromagnetic interference fueling speculation about an ancient, buried alien spacecraft. In addition to the UFO theories, the area is believed to be an ancient Native American burial ground, raising concerns about the potential consequences of disturbing such sacred sites. Various hypotheses have been proposed to explain the phenomena, including the idea that the area may be a portal 
to another dimension, or that the green lightning was responsible for transporting or incinerating the missing explorers. People also speculate that Native American magic could have been involved meant to protect tribal gold from European explorers like Coronado. Despite the intriguing legend, tangible evidence beyond Coronado's diary entries is lacking, making it difficult to substantiate the claims surrounding Beaver Dunes Park. Nonetheless, the story persists, leaving a mysterious and enigmatic legacy in the region's folklore. But what about the Bandage Man? So the Bandage Man is from Oregon. For some reason, I want I'm hearing the Rubber Band Man song in my head now. But this yeah. is a local legend from the coastal town of Cannon Beach, Oregon. This is said to be a tall, frightening person covered in bandages who preys on teenagers late at night. These teenagers are stereotypically making out in cars, fooling around with, you know, whatever. Hanging out with friends, doing stuff that kids do, teenagers do. Drugs. Um, <laughs> one of the most... Uh, so the, the, it's supposed to be the ghost of a logger who died in a sawmill accident and attacks mm -hmm. cars and teenagers primarily. One of the most consistent uh, characteristics or phenomena that accompanies a visit by this guy is the smell of rotting flesh. Yum. So uh, the legend first kind of came out in the 1950s group of teenagers claimed to have seen him while they were driving on Highway 101 between the 26th Junction to the north entrance of Cannon Beach and sometimes as far down as Arch Cape. He's described as being about 7 feet tall. Uh, some say that he has glowing red eyes. And he's known to, you know, attack parked cars. Uh, he's even known to sometimes come after moving vehicles, especially like open-topped ones. So... Cabriolets. Jeeps, convertibles, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he might even hop into the back of your car. Legends say that you won't necessarily know that he's there until you're hit by the smell. Yeah. But he's believed to feed on dogs, small animals, <laughs> occasionally a person, if you get in his way. And it sounds like it's one of those things where it started as something to scare teenagers. Like, he'll be in your car, and then he'll, he disappears by the time you get to town. But mm -hmm. this could be, to my mind, this could be one of those, you know, thought forms. So many people are aware sure. of the story and they're thinking about it. They might have actually conjured this thing. Yeah. This, if there's enough, this would be a good uh, one to do a whole episode on. Yeah. But next we will get on to Charlie No Face after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. All right, so let's jump ahead to Pennsylvania and Charlie No-Face. Um, I'm just going to roll through this real quick. Rumors of a murderous, faceless man roaming the streets at night were based on a real-life person who'd suffered an extreme accident that destroyed his face. He wasn't, as it turns out, a murderer. He walked at night because he wanted to get fresh air and to be left alone. The legend stuck, however. And we have a TikTok on the Green Man. It's um, 
I think we have a TikTok and possibly a YouTube. It's just a little seven-minute story. Basically, this was a boy who uh, was horribly electrocuted when he was trying to get a, a nest out of a, a tree. He touched a, a line, an electric line, and it turned his skin green and basically burnt his face off. And he just walks along the streets at night to, you know, be left alone so people don't make fun of him or you know act shocked and horrified and run when they see him because nobody you know obviously wants to feel that but apparently it's absolutely a true story and he's been hit by cars at night uh, i think he's passed away but so there's that um you mm -hmm. want to tell us real quick about mercy brown mercy and brown yeah, Mercy Brown the Vampire from Rhode Island. Outbreaks of tuberculosis caused a vampire scare in 1892 when a full family contracted the disease. While most of her family's bodies decomposed, Mercy's body seemed to be frozen in time, making people suspect her to be a vampire. Mm -hmm. So one of those cases where her body was exhumed and, yeah, just apparently not, not decomposed the way you would expect it to be. My understanding is that they returned the body to its grave site, but they were... I think they staked her down, too. And they found that, you know, when your skin recedes it on your fingernails, it looks like your fingernails are still growing. When your gums recede, it looks like you're growing, you know, like your teeth are becoming more pronounced and yeah. sharp and stuff so yeah she's one of the ones where they exhumed her she wasn't decomposed the way they thought she would be they found liquid blood still in her heart all this stuff so they thought they killed a vampire because they thought vampires were causing tuberculosis hey that's but they thought happened. tuberculosis wasn't a disease it was the consequences of a vampire absolutely true moving on south carolina boo hags you like that name I do. It's pretty cool. I do, yeah. Boo Boo Radley's mama might have been a boo hag. Could have been. So do you remember that? No. <laughs> well, everybody had to read To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to. Never did. <laughs> Passed the class. Uh, so, all right. So in Gulaf folklore, uh, tells us about evil souls who stay behind after death and become skinless vampire-like witches who take other people's skin for a ride. The Boohag is a fascinating mythical creature deeply rooted in the folklore of the Gulag culture. This unique contribution to the worldwide hag folklore is a result of the syncretic belief system of the Gulag or Hoodoo cultures. So basically, we're talking about either slaves or freed slaves mostly that are uh, kind of talking about this myth. In the narratives of formerly enslaved individuals like Jacob Stroyer, who was born enslaved in South Carolina in 1849, hags and conjurers were common topics. They were referred to as old hags or jack lanterns and were believed to be individuals who worked closely with enslaved people and appeared to be odd or peculiar as they grew older. Aren't we all? Dog is. I would think so. See, <laughs> dogs like me. So protective practices like sprinkling a mixture of cayenne pepper and salt in the corners and around the room were used by 
enslaved people to guard against the malevolent influence of boo hags when they lacked access to a Bible. So that's interesting. We're talking about, you know, Gula and Hoodoo, but they need access to a Bible. It's a weird mixture when we get into like hoodoo and voodoo and Catholicism and like it's all kind of intertwined and stuff. But this is, this is how it was presented in the research. So they are documented in the book Drums and Shadows and it reveals that Boohags were perceived as witches who made pacts with the devil. These beings were believed to have the ability to transform into animals and insects draining the spiritual essence of their victims. In folklore, boohags share some similarities with vampires, but instead of feeding on blood, they draw sustenance from a person's breath by riding their victims. And originally, I thought this was, you know, going for a ride because typically hags are reported as like, you know, sitting on someone's chest and causing them to either not be able to breathe or have a lot of trouble breathing, but it goes into some other stuff. So they're described as having no skin and being red in appearance, which you probably would be if you had no skin. To blend in and avoid suspicion, they steal a victim's skin and wear it like clothing, hiding it before embarking on their nocturnal rides. When a boo hag selects a victim, it gets access to their home through small openings such as cracks or holes. It hovers over the sleeping or dazed victim, sucking in their breath, inducing a deep, dream-filled sleep. The hag leaves the victim alive to be used again for their energy, but if the victim resists or struggles, the hag may take their skin, leaving the victim in distress, <laughs> to put it mildly. After extracting the victim's energy, the boo hag must return to its skin by dawn or risk being forever trapped without it. Upon waking, the victim may feel short of breath, sick, and dizzy, but generally only experiences extreme fatigue, particularly in South Carolina. An expression that originates from the boo hag legend is, don't let the hag ride you, cautioning against falling victim to these malevolent beings. Although boo hags are a product of Gula culture, their legend has gained recognition on a wider scale and has been used as a cautionary tale particularly in discussions about stranger danger. So we've all probably had a night out where your buddies come up and they're like, hey, don't let the hag ride you, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't know it was reptilian at the time, so they gave me that benevolent advice. Exactly. So this one's kind of cool. Tell us about South Dakota. Oh, South Dakota. South Dakota has Walking Sam. Mm -hmm. This is a seven-foot-tall specter whose job is to collect the souls of suicide victims and stalking lonely, depressed adolescents. Mm -hmm. So, Walking Sam... Should I make a joke about Walking Sam spending a lot of time on TikTok? Sure. Why not? Lonely, depressed adolescents? <laughs> Why not? So, this could be... You know, a, a creature used as an explanation of alarmingly high suicide rates in the area or recent attempts at mass suicide. Everybody who's listening to this probably knows that a lot of these creatures, like vampires, like we were talking about earlier, vampires are used to explain away consumption because they didn't know what consumption was back then. Mm -hmm. Or they didn't understand that it was a disease. 
Anyway. Well, it was used for a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was just consumption. It was tuberculosis and porphyria. Yeah. Like, Any, they blamed everything yeah, on yeah. vampires. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation located near the Black Hills of South Dakota is home to the Oglala Lakota tribe and carries a history marked by trauma, including the Wounded Knee Massacre. Mm. It currently ranks among the poorest counties in the United States. I actually, um, my, my family and some other families that I knew used to donate to a Lakota charity. It wasn't necessarily just money. It would be like Gotcha. Books and Here's stuff. a kid. It's it's like a giving tree sort of thing. Gotcha. But it was specifically for this tribe. That's cool. And my mom got to know some of those people and you know, some of the people involved in organizing it and then she would get pictures of the kids with some of the gifts and it was a big thing for a while. I hope they're doing okay cuz I know I haven't seen anything from it in a while. Cuz they used to send a like hey, we're doing it again this year mm-hmm. kind of message at some point and none of us have gotten it in a while. Uh-oh. Wandering anyway, Sam though, got him. Yeah. So in 2015, a wave of teen suicides brought Pine Ridge into the spotlight, prompting discussions about the supernatural, particularly this urban legend or cryptid or whatever you want to call them, ghost. Mm-hmm. Between December 2014 and March 2015, there were 103 suicide attempts at Pine Ridge, with nine resulting in fatalities, none older than 25, and many using the method of hanging. Yeah. That seems, uh, I don't know. I mean, it happens, but that's not, it's not the way you would usually think to go. Right. Because if you right. do it, I mean, obviously, you know, there's help out for out there for you if you're feeling suicidal, but hanging, like if you do it yourself is brutal. You're just suffocating. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you don't get the drop where it snaps your neck. It's like three minutes of you know, the worst three minutes of your life. Yep. While previous years had seen clusters of suicides, this one was notably larger and alarmed the community. Mm. And, and you know, sort of a larger, larger group through modern media. Mm-hmm. Faced with a crisis and no clear solution, some began to attribute these tragedies to a malevolent force rooted in Native American tradition and folklore known as suicide spirits, stick people, or shadow entities that entice adolescents out of their homes at night. If you were a ghost, how would you entice somebody out of their house? I would go into their house. <laughs> you just go. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'd walk in that's the front so door. That's so smart. That's the Scooby Doo method. You just go in and scare them out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be like outside like... going, Ryan. That's not going to work. There's like a ghost outside tapping on the window. Like, I've got a Nintendo Switch and a pack of cigarettes. That's right. (laughs) Whatever it is you want. All right. Over time, uh, the stories of these entities, spirits, whatever, may have coalesced into what we're talking about now, which is known as Walking Sam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also known as the Tall Man or Stovepipe Hat Bigfoot. (laughs) This... Being is often described as being a seven-foot-tall figure with eyes but no mouth, sometimes wearing a stovepipe hat. When it raises its arms, the bodies of his previous victims appear to hang beneath. He is said to call out teenagers, attempting to convince them 
of their worthlessness and urging them to take their own lives. Using only his eyes. Some, well, and some believe that this is because teenagers, younger people are just more susceptible to this. Mm-hmm. There are a couple different interpretations of why he would be doing this. Some see it as a malevolent entity, and some see him as seeking companionship. He also shares ties with like the Slenderman legend or your typical kind of boogeyman. From a cryptozoological perspective, ooh, got through that word on the first try. <laughs> some believe he may be another version of a Bigfoot. A fancy, super fancy yeah. Bigfoot. Stove pipe hat Bigfoot. I don't know about that. I don't know what Bigfoot would lure you out with. Like, oh, I've got some peanut butter. No, uh, right? Bigfoot will call your fight. children's names. You know, weirdly, mm. but call their names or call your dog's names or whistle mm-hmm. like you whistle when you whistle for your dogs to come in. <laughs> oh, that would be so creepy. Oh, yeah. When I go out at night, I don't I don't whistle for the dog. I have a really loud snap. I know I told you that before. Yeah, you bragged about your and snap. It's relatively, <laughs> it's relatively quiet here. So, like, the dogs will be a yard or so over because nobody here gives a shit. Mm-hmm. They don't care if your dog goes on somebody else's lawn and all the dogs play together. But I'll just snap awesome. my fingers real loud and they'll come. Mm-hmm. But if I started hearing that... Yeah. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like. If I was just outside one night with the dogs and I heard, like, my own snap coming from somewhere else and the dogs just, oh, okay, time to go, and they start heading that way. Yeah. Well, they, they're said to say people's names. They just can't pronounce it right. It's instead of saying, like, Sophie, they'll be like, Sovi, Sovi. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. That sound like Ensign Chekhov from from Star Trek. <laughs> All right. So, considering the strong spiritual connection between the land and the Lakota heritage, some see Walking Sam as a physical manifestation of the pain and trauma endured by the Lakota Indians. So maybe a golem or a uh, tulpa. Yeah. Whether. This is really a tangible threat or some kind of metaphor or thought form. Many adults at Pine Ridge take it seriously and seek help from government officials to address the impact this thing seems to be having. Yeah, they can't even get our roads right. You think they're going to be able to stop wandering Sam or walking Sam? No, I think they'll hire him. (laughs) Probably, (laughs) yeah. They're like, we want you to go convince all of this group of people. Yeah. Oh That's my it. God. Yes. Oh, it, we, we turned out it was Hillary Clinton with a stovepipe hat on. <laughs> <laughs> Videos from this community have emerged showing teens explaining how to tie ropes for their suicide attempts, like like the news, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And this has prompted pastors and teachers in the community to get involved. And authorities have even reported finding nooses hanging from trees. The extent to which this urban legend exacerbates the struggles of young adults grappling with mental health issues is still up for debate. It's you know, an is enigma. this just the way society is going? It is, an, it is an enigma. Yeah, is it just mental health issues or is there something more to it? Either way, it seems that in a region plagued by extreme poverty, alcohol abuse, and high school dropout rates, teenagers are dealing with a lot of potential mental health challenges. A litany. And require, yeah, a litany. And they need the right care and support. 
and they don't need walking Sam out there. And if you out there, I feel like we should always be saying this, if you have thoughts, you know, of self-harm or worthlessness, I promise you, somebody out there loves you. Somebody cares about you, and it would devastate somebody to lose you. Even if you think nobody cares about me, nobody knows I'm around, somebody cares. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's always help. You, you probably know the number off the top of your head. 988. You just you dial 988 in the United States. Uh, that is for English or Spanish. And we just dropped the suicide killer uh, Sinister Souls about someone who basically went into chat rooms before there was even really like MySpace and encouraged and made suicide packs causing five people to kill themselves so it's wow. scary man but yeah we got to keep moving because we got 50 states so moving on to tennessee love tennessee skin tom Tennessee's right. but don't woo the wrong lady like young tom did he ended up getting skinned alive by a beautiful woman's angry husband His bloody ghost hangs around lovers' lanes to punish cheaters. And, you know, getting caught cheating never ends well. Unless you, you know, make a career out of it if you ended up on cheaters and now you're hosting your own Jersey Shore type program. (laughs) But you can end up losing your career, family, inheritance, and in the case of Skin Tom, even your life. So this comes out of Wallen, Tennessee... And it has really everything that the horror enthusiast loves. Blood, sex, vengeance, and a cautionary tale for young people not to go looking for trouble. But how did Tom go from an attractive ladies' man to a terrifying body horror urban legend who supposedly haunted lovers' lanes for decades? Long ago, in Wallen, Tennessee, a young man named Tom was just living the dream. Handsome, funny, smart. Not unlike Ryan, the ladies noticed. He began to womanize everybody in town. But, you know, he was never content. He was always looking for the uh, grass on the other side. He would spend a bit of time with a woman before breaking up with her and moving on to the next. But everything changed when he met a gorgeous woman from the next town over. So, there's many tales, but most of them call her Eleanor which shows you how old this is because mm. no one named Eleanor is still attractive. <laughs> she, <laughs> sorry, Eleanor. Uh, I'm sure you're beautiful for your age, but my point is, you know, you're probably talking, mm. you know, at least 50 years ago. She was basically his dream girl, except she was already married. But Tom didn't mind, and he got a rush from sneaking around with a married woman trying not to get caught pulled it off for a while they'd kiss and make out in tom's car near lovers lanes and would do what all secret lovers do listen to cryptique right mm-hmm. nasty woman <laughs> but <Whew>. eleanor's husband <laughs> tracked them down and got the ultimate revenge on tom for making him a cuck the legends <laughs> hey that was in like three different articles so i'm going oh, with it <laughs> Gotta love it. 
The legends say that Eleanor's husband dragged Tom out of the car and skinned him alive with a hunting knife at the sight of his smug face. Gory? Yes. Deserved? Debatable. Tom had begged the angry man not to hurt him, swearing that he had no idea that Eleanor was married. <laughs> Complete lie. And he would never go near her again. But her husband saw right through Tom's phony antics and got the ultimate revenge on the man who had wronged him. So what happened to Eleanor? Some people say that her husband killed her with the very same hunting knife, but, you know, he didn't skin her. Yeah, and then others say that he kept her alive, forcing her to watch as her lover was brutally murdered. Skin Tom. No, I do want to sing you a little song. Skin Tom song. Have you seen the ghost of Skin Tom? Bloody red bones with the skin all gone. Ooh, 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 ooh. Wouldn't it be chilly with no skin on? What's in Texas, Ryan? It, Texas has uh, Texas has lifted Chevy Silverados and GMC what Sierras doing mock Jesus in the breakdown lane with no regard for human life. But that's not the mythical creature we're talking about here. We're talking about the candy lady. Texas urban legends about monsters like the Chupacabra or sites like the Alamo can be creepy, but have you heard about this evil woman who lures children with candy. Candy left out on the windowsill is meant to lure children so a spectral woman can pull out their teeth, kidnap them, and stab them in the eyes. What's creepier is that this story may have been linked to a real-life person named Clara Crane who killed her husband by poisoning candy and was later released from an institution. I guess you gotta let him go sometime. Mm-hmm. But not those drivers, man. All right. Not those Silverados and Tierras. That's terrible. Dangerous. So you gotta be careful. But in Utah, the curse on Escalante's petrified forest. Anyone who takes petrified wood from the state park risks bad luck, job loss, sickness, and accidents. Park managers claim they get dozens of packages every year, sending back chunks of wood from regretful thieves. Vermont's Frozen Folks is forthcoming. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Tell us about the deep frozen folks of Vermont. Yes. This is a cool one. This would be a good... uh, whole episode or at least an after party maybe we'll dig in later frugal vermonters facing extreme winters have been said to freeze their elderly and thaw them in the spring is this just a scary story or a utilitarian practice or maybe a bit of both a strange tale describing this unbelievable ritual a strange tale being a title uh, was published on the front page of the Montpelier Argus and Patriot on December 21st, 1887. The story, reported to be true, tells of a poor northern Vermont family who had established the idea of putting their elderly and weakest family members into cold storage until they could be thawed out just in time for spring planting. I would, if that worked, I would totally do that. I'd be like, okay, Merry Christmas. I'm going in the freezer. I'll see you when it's 70. (laughs) (laughs) 
I like it when it's cold. I'd be like, oh, it's hot out. Put me in the, put me in the chest freezer in the garage. Yeah. I'll see you all around Christmas. I guess. Or no, wake me up for uh, Halloween. Oh, there you go. I guess here in Ver- and in Vermont, you could just go outside. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be freezing effing cold out there. So you can just go outside and yeah. freeze. But the following is from a story by Wesley S. Griswold from Mischief in the Mountains, published by Vermont Life in 1970. The Argus and Patriot listed the author as A.M., noting the events took place in a mountain town some 20 miles from Montpelier. A.M. wrote that the tale was excerpted from his Uncle William's diary. January 7. I went on the mountain today and witnessed what to me was a horrible sight. It seems that the dwellers there who are unable, either from age or other reasons, to contribute to the support of their families are disposed of in the winter months in a manner that will shock the one who reads this diary, unless that person lives in that vicinity. I will describe what I saw. Six persons, four men and two women, one of the men a cripple about 30 years old, the other five past the age of usefulness, lay on the earthly floor of the cabin drugged into insensibility, while members of their families were gathered around them in apparent indifference. In a short time, the unconscious bodies were inspected by several old people who said they are ready. They were then stripped of all their clothing except a single garment. Then the bodies were carried outside and laid on logs exposed to the bitter cold mountain air, the operation having been delayed several days for suitable weather. It was night when the bodies were carried out, and the full moon occasionally obscured by flying clouds, shone on their upturned, ghastly faces, and a horrible fascination kept me by the bodies if I could endure the severe cold. Soon the noses, ears, and fingers began to turn white, then the limbs and face assumed a tallow look. I could stand the cold no longer and went inside, where I found friends in cheerful conversation. In about an hour, I went out and looked at the bodies. They were fast freezing. I could not shut out the sight of those freezing bodies outside, neither could I bear to be in darkness, but I piled on the wood in the cavernous fireplace and seated on a shingle block past the dreary night, terror-stricken by the horrible sights I had witnessed. January 8th. We shall want our men to plant our corn next spring, said a youngish-looking woman, the wife of one of the frozen men. And if you want to see them resuscitated, you come here about the 10th of next May. May 10th. The men commenced work at once, some shoveling away the snow and others tearing away the brush. Soon the box was visible. The cover was taken off, the layers of straw removed, and the bodies, frozen and apparently lifeless, lifted out and laid on the snow. Large troughs made of hemlock logs were placed nearby, filled with tepid water into which the bodies were separately placed, with the head slightly raised. Boiling water was then poured into the trough from kettles hung on poles nearby until the water in the trough was as hot as I could hold my hand in. Hemlock boughs had been put in the boiling water in such quantities that they had given the water the color of wine. After lying in this bath for about an hour, color began to return to the bodies when all hands began rubbing and chafing them. This continued for about another hour when a slight twitching of the muscles of the face and limbs followed by audible gasps showed that life was not quenched and the vitality was returning. Spirits were then given in small quantities and allowed to trickle down their throats. When their eyes opened and they began to talk and finally sat up in their bathtubs. They were then taken out and assisted to the house, where after a hearty dinner they seemed as well as ever and in no way injured, but rather refreshed 
and a long sleep of four months. I feel like I could sleep for four months sometime, Ryan. All right, moving on. Virginia, the Bunny Man. We did a story on Bunny Man Bridge. Can't remember if it was in Virginia or not, but if you like this story, go back and check out the episode. It's just called The Bunny Man, I think. On Halloween many years ago, a bus transferring asylum inmates crashed with one of the inmates escaping. For years, skinned, half-eaten rabbits were found hanging from the trees near Bunnyman Bridge, even after the supposed culprit died. Eventually, he allegedly attacked humans too, leaving bodies strung up from the bridge. And if you like it, like I said, go back and listen to the episode. We talk all about it. What's in Washington? Or as we say, Oh, Washington. people beyond the age of usefulness. Or are we talking about Washington State? <laughs> we are okay. talking about Washington, Washington State. Washington State. Uh, the caddy of Cadboro Bay. While the legendary Bigfoot gets a great deal of attention in this state, you might not have heard of caddy, short for Cadborosaurus, the local sea monster hanging out in Cadboro Bay probably a sturgeon in my mind they can look really scary and intimidating and huge even though they don't have teeth but yeah they you know they see this basically it's like a a champ from lake champlain possibly similar to the loch ness monster but yeah there's not there's not very many pictures of it but if you google it caddy of cadbro bay it'll you'll find something it's it's tough to explain but yeah they they use oh. it as you know the same way that we talk about how the mothman is in point pleasant yeah. and stuff like that right, so it's right. a retail yeah i just don't cow. yeah i just don't think it has the same like appeal as the loch ness monster so it hasn't been studied as much no all right west virginia the white things so we talked about point pleasant and the mothman uh, so that would probably be their number one, but most people knew about that. So in rural West Virginia, it's supposed to be home to mysterious dog-like creatures the size of a lion with white shaggy fur. So kind of like the hellhounds or, you know, whatever, take your pick of, you know, dog mysteries or, or wolf mysteries. Um, these dogs basically just run around and kill people. All huh. right, Wisconsin. Wisconsin has the Rhinelander Hodag. Yeah. Hodag? That sounds right. Dude, right? a Hodag, Hodag is going to be our next critter. This thing's pretty cool looking. Go ahead and tell That's us about funny. it. All right. An ugly, stumpy creature with a spiked tail. The Hodag features in Paul Bunyan stories and reportedly likes to eat bulldogs. It is from American folklore, often described as a fearsome creature, not critter, because <laughs> I'm not from Wisconsin, resembling a large bullhorned carnivore with unique features such as a row of thick curved spines down its back. According to legend, the hodag was born from the ashes of cremated oxen and represented the accumulation of abuse these animals had endured from their masters. Hmm. So another one where it's kind of like intention and... Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's... Yeah, it's another one of these cautionary tales. Like you will eventually reap what you sow. You'll have to, yeah, you'll have to sleep in that bed you made. Mm -hmm. 
So the origins are closely tied to Rhinelander, Wisconsin, where this creature was claimed to have been discovered. In 1893, newspapers reported the discovery of the hodag, describing it as having the, <laughs> the head of a frog, the grinning face of a giant elephant, thick short legs with huge claws, the back of a dinosaur, and a long tail with spears at the end. Head of a frog, grinning face of a giant elephant. Now keep in mind, this was 1893. So their descriptions are, I mean, I guess it makes that sense. But. All right. Eugene Shepard gathered a group of local people to try to capture the hodag, and they claimed that they had to use dynamite to kill it. A photo of the charred remains of the hodag was released to the media, depicting it as the fiercest, strangest, most frightening monster ever to set razor-sharp claws on Earth. According to the legend, it became extinct after its main food source, white bulldogs, became scarce in the area. You know, I like a lot of the stuff about this one, but I like there. I couldn't find where, like, why it preferred white bulldogs, and I don't understand why there's like a big white bulldog population somewhere unless there's you know breeders you know in that specific area where like rhinelander bulldogs were considered you know a top breed or something like that so mm. all right wyoming the platte river ship through thick mist usually in february a ship can be seen sailing the platte river its phantom crew frosted over on the deck you'll allegedly see the body of someone you know or yourself. Either way, the person's death will come soon. That would be... Now, we talk about doppelgangers, and that would certainly mm -hmm. be creepy, but seeing what appears to be your dead self or, you know, whatever would be on a whole nother level, I think. Yeah, agreed. I'm just saying it's cool... It's a cool one, though, like a phantom ship on a river in Wyoming. Yeah. Who would expect that? Yeah, and it, it's it's different. It's not the same as, you know, a lot of these other ones. But we'll be back with a surprise after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. What you got for us, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, the U.S. currently has 16 territories, five of those being inhabited. So we don't really have urban legends from all of those, but I was able to put together a little little list of some basic ones from the, you know, the territories with, with people in them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So... The American... It's a lot easier when there's people there. Yeah. The American <laughs> Samoan Tanoa is the first. It is a giant eel-like creature said to live in the waters around American Samoa. It is reportedly very mm. aggressive and has been known to attack boats and swimmers. It's described as being about 60 feet long and having a large head with sharp teeth. It's supposed to be very powerful with that size i understand easily able to overturn boats and drag people underwater this is a popular figure 
in Samoan mythology and said to be a guardian of the sea, which will punish those who disrespect it. Hmm. There are stories of people who've been attacked by it, but there's no, uh, you know, hard evidence. No, no bodies or anything found of this thing. Sure. One of the most famous stories about this creature is the story of <laughs> Dewey Manua was a powerful chief who ruled over the uh, Manua Islands. He was said to be arrogant and disrespectful to the sea. One day he was sailing in his boat mm-hmm. when the Tanoa attacked. It capsized it and he was drowned. The story of Tui Manua mm-hmm. is a cautionary tale about the dangers of disrespecting the sea. So, you know, probably in a way that's meant to be a like a cautionary kind of tale. Yeah. But it also does tell us that it's, you know, believed to be a real and powerful creature that you shouldn't take lightly. It is still feared, and a lot of people yeah. believe that it's real and should be avoided in that area. But, again, some people still think it's just a myth. Well, there's some interesting parallels. Uh, first of all, I know this is New Zealand. It's pretty far away. It's not as far away as you might think from American Samoa. But they're, you know, similar cultures and, and may have even... You know, the Polynesians are, you know, they sailed everywhere. Uh, but in New Zealand, they do have giant eels. And when I say giant, I mean like seven to ten feet. But uh, Jeremy Wade went there and they're super aggressive. He just put some chum in the water and he had like a shark suit on or something and they kept biting him and he had to shake him off and eventually get out because it was just too much. And I think he may have done an episode on this too, where it was, uh, he, he found that it was, I forget what it was. You'll have to look up the episode, but I think he did an episode where he was in American hmm. Samoa and there was some legend about this, you know, aquatic creature that lived at the bottom of a dam and he found it was, you know, something, a river monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it could be mistaken identity. It could be one of these eels that you're talking about and people just, it's the big fish story. Mm-hmm. Like a, a 10 foot eel becomes a 60 foot eel one or six. What becomes a 60 foot eel? <laughs> All right. Next True. we have the Guambero of Guam, which I love Guambero. Mm. Uh, this is a wild boar like creature said to live in the forests of Guam. It is very dangerous and known to attack people. The Guambero is typically described as being about six feet long and having a large head and sharp tusks. Said to be very powerful and can easily gore or trample people. It is a figure in Chamorro. Chamorro? That sounds about right. Chamorro mythology. And is said to be the guardian of the forests and to punish those who disrespect that. So kind of a similar theme here. Mm -hmm. There are... Uh, a number of stories about it, but one of the mace, most famous ones about the Guambero is the story of Juan Charfaros. I'm going to say. Uh, Juan was a young man who okay. was out hunting in the forest when he was attacked by the Guambero. It gored and killed him. Sucks. There's not, not a whole lot of context here. Wild pigs are scary, dude. They get huge. They're mean. They're smart, and they will attack in packs. And I saw a thing on uh, on some social media about some British person like, oh, we have 22 caliber rifles here, and they work perfectly fine for 
boar and deer. And I'm like, you're shooting a deer with a 22? Mm-hmm. You're shooting a boar with a 22? Are you putting it directly in their brain? Yeah, you're going to just annoy it. <laughs> I don't even think it's legal to hunt those here with 22s because it, it just injures them. It doesn't even kill mm-hmm. them. All right, so I couldn't find anything else about it. But the Guambero is still you know, believed in and feared in parts of Guam today. And there are just a couple more things about it. Some people claim that it is able to change its color to blend in with its environment. It's able to communicate telepathically with other Guamberos. It is able to smell fear and is especially attracted to blood. I could totally see Mm -hmm. that. I mean, somehow, like, you know, I wake up in the morning, same time, every day, get out of bed, 29 out of 30 days, I'm just you know, going to brush my teeth and get ready for work. The one day that I have a thought, you know what? I'm going to make some eggs and I'll give some eggs to the dogs today. And they fucking hound me. Every other day they just lay on the bed. But for whatever reason, that one day where I just think about it, they hound me. It's yep. crazy. Yeah, mine do that too. It's like I'll, Facebook. Yeah, I'll bring Curly <laughs> with me and we'll like, he'll just follow me to the door. You know, it's like, I'm going to go to mm-hmm. Quick Trip and get like a Red Bull. Yeah. And he'll just follow me and be looking at me with that. Like, where, what about me? Where are you going? Look, and I'm like, all right, man, come on. So we'll, we'll get in the car and then I'll think about, I'll think like, oh, maybe I should get like a hot dog. Maybe I'll split a hot dog with the dog. Mm-hmm. And he'll just, and he'll, <laughs> all of a sudden he'll get real amped up. And it is like when I don't intend mm-hmm. to give him anything, it's like, we're just going to the post office, dude, or we're. You know, whatever. Yeah. But it's like if there's food involved and I'm intending to give him something, he seems to know. It's weird. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it really is crazy. So why could this Guambero not smell right. fear and communicate telepathically? Right. What's next, next is the Sinalagu of northern of the northern Mariana Islands. This is another cryptid. It's ah. a giant lizard creature said to live on the island of Rhoda. It is said to be shy and rarely seen, typically described as being about 20 feet long and having a large head and sharp teeth. Very powerful and can easily crush people with its tail. Splat. Now, this thing comes from Rotan mythology, because you could also pronounce it rotten, and I'm pretty sure it's not rotten, but... Uh, Again, it's it's kind of a guardian figure for the island. Uh, there are some other interesting facts about it, kind of like I had with the Guambero, some claims. Uh, some say that it is able to breathe fire. Some say it can also camouflage itself to blend in with its environment. Some say it has the ability to hypnotize something that it is, you know, preying upon. And that it is especially attracted to young women. Interesting. Giant lizard man is a ladies lizard man. <laughs> He's a lot lizard or is a lounge yeah. lizard. Alright. Uh, we have a familiar face in Puerto Rico. The Chupacabra. Chupacabra is a legendary creature that basically doesn't need much introduction. It is said to suck the blood of livestock and have sharp claws and teeth yep. and glowing red eyes. The name Chupacabra comes from the Spanish words uh, basically meaning goat sucker chupa to suck and cabra goat. 
first reported sightings of the chupacabra in Puerto Rico occurred in 1995. There were several reports of livestock being found drained of blood, and some claimed to have seen a strange creature lurking in the shadows. The sightings quickly spread, and soon the chupacabra was a national sensation. There have been uh, some different descriptions over the years, some saying that it is small and dog-like, others saying it's larger and more reptilian, some say it has spines running down its back, while others say it has wings, but most descriptions agree that it has glowing red eyes. For show. For show. There are uh, apparently some slight differences between the chupacabra of Puerto Rico versus the chupacabra of other parts of the world. One example is that yes, the mangy coyote. The Puerto Rico one is described as having spines running down its back, while other parts of the world doesn't always have that, or don't. I guess maybe don't have that description at all, or maybe it's much more rare. Additionally, the Puerto Rican variant is said to be much smaller than the version found in the rest of the world. Uh, and yeah, we do have. We'll do a whole, whole show on the Chupacabra yeah, kinda, one day, so we don't really need to yeah, get I'm into kinda it. Yeah, I'm kind of having to pick through my notes, but I do have some fun facts about it or claims. Said to be able to run at speeds of up to 60 miles an hour, zoom, zoom. able to climb trees and walls, able to disappear into thin air. Poof. And uh, has a special soft spot in its heart for coats. <laughs> All right, and then finally, we have the Jumbi of the U.S. Virgin Islands. This is a tall, thin, goat-like spectral kind of entity said to haunt the U.S. Virgin Islands. It is said to have long black hair and glowing eyes. It is often associated with death and misfortune, and is said to be able to shapeshift and cast spells. It is believed to have originated in West Africa and was brought to the Virgin Islands by enslaved people. The name Jumbi comes from the West African word jum, which means spirit. There are a couple different theories about it. Some say that it's the spirit of a dead person who hasn't found peace, while others say it is a demon or a creature from another dimension. There are also stories of jumbies that are said to be benevolent, but those are less common. This is popular still in Virgin Island folklore and often used as kind of a cautionary tale to scare children, but has a deeper meaning. You know, they say that the Jumbi represents the fear of the unknown and the power of nature and is a reminder that there are things in the world that we can't yet understand. Well, all you have to do is go to crypticpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what your favorite urban legend is from your area. You want to tell them the rest of what they need to know? Yeah, if you guys want to help us out, and we would really appreciate it, you can interact with us in some way through your particular podcast platform. You can rate, subscribe, comment. Mm-hmm. You can get in touch mm-hmm. with us by email, like Jay just said. You can check out what we're selling at crypticpodcaststore.com. You can find us on TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast, on YouTube at cryptique podcast. X at Podcast Evil. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Truth Social. We're on Gab. We're everywhere, as we like to say. You really need to check the store out. We've added some really cool uh, shirts. We just added a Nightcrawlers shirt, which is pretty awesome. And everyone that I've shown that to just absolutely loves it. That's a way you can support us and get something else for yourself. 
And we just put up a Battle of Los Angeles t-shirt that's pretty cool, so you should check that out. And what do we always say? Don't sleep. Cryptique. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Thank you.